0: Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. And James, who we're we joined not by one guest, but by two. Who are we joined by today, Jim?
2: Well, amazing guest today. We've got um, two mega names. We've got um, satiricist. Oh, God, I can't even say it. You know what I mean. Satiricist. Satirist. 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 Oh, that's honestly. a word. That's a word. Oh, That's a <laughs> terrible start. I know we're off um, your path. cartoonist patch, this is Nick ridiculous. Newman, <laughs> uh, um, And Ian Hislop. And they've both just written a play about um, our favourite person, Spike Milligan. Which is very very exciting.
0: Yeah, welcome, welcome to the podcast, chaps. Now, um, Spike. I mean, is is ah, to, where, where to begin? He's he's probably one of the most important figures in um, post-war British entertainment, wouldn't you say?
3: Um, probably the yeah, the most yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of our play, we um, we uh, just uh, have a list of um, all the people who have credited Spike as sort of inspiring them. Yeah, uh, to, to 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 get into comedy, and it and the the list includes um, you know everybody from Dawn French to Stephen Fry, you know. Yeah. So,
4: all the Pythons, all, Eddie yeah. Izzard, John well, Lennon.
3: <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, exactly. The Beatles. I mean,
0: uh, uh, were big Goons fans, weren't they? Yeah. So, so th- well, you've,
4: only got to,
2: you've only got to look at the Spaniard in the works, haven't you? I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. pure Spike Milligan from yeah. start yeah. to finish.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, having said that, how do you how how on earth do you approach? Um,
4: someone someone so sort of important and vast well I think we felt that nearly all plays about anyone in comedy um are oh look tears of a clown wasn't he miserable here's some miserable stuff and here's a miserable ending and the audience can go home feeling miserable and we want to do a play which said do you know what he was really funny um (laughs) at this period of his life he made lots of people happy and that's it. So the end. <laughs> <laughs> the end. It'll never
0: sell. I mean, I mean, in, in, in a way, in a way, people sort of want the reassurance that comedians are miserable, aren't they? They 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 they, 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 they can't just be laughing all the time. Yeah, it, uh, it's it, a,
3: yeah. We think it's a bit like you know the the royals being. Um, having very boring holidays, you want to know that, uh, that, you know, they go to Scotland and have no fun whatsoever and get eaten by midges. By midges, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, comedians, um, they have a joyous life going out and making people laugh and everybody saying they're marvellous. So they've got to have some pain and heartbreak along the way. I mean, I mean, with Spike, as we know, he did have had some pain and heartbreak. I mean, he was blown up in uh, Monte Cassino, so that... Um, that sort of rather coloured the rest of his life, and we haven't, we don't avoid that in the play. You know, we do, but but a lot of the the the, the sort of rather manic incidents that we, uh, which we do refer to, they were often tinged with um, with humour as well. So he he was he was just a, an endlessly funny man, I think,
4: and even you know when he's. Um in the play there is you know the the attempted assassination of Peter Sellers uh, <laughs> and and a suicide attempt so you know it's not all feel good um but both times spike made these things incredibly funny <laughs> which shouldn't be possible um i'm sure those near and dear to him um were very cross about it that is how he he coped and from the war onwards i think it's it's reasonable to say that humour was a coping mechanism um and you know we ended up saying you know he was mentally ill but there are hundreds and thousands of people who are mentally ill there's only one person who wrote the goons uh, yes so <laughs> it, it might be interesting to have a look at that
5: yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, i I mean the war the, uh, the i mean the when people look at the goon show of course it, it it get tends to get shunted into silly voice territory doesn't it and uh and and seen as a python precursor and and Sort of nothing to do with the satire boom, and uh, this is a, a a thing that I find quite interesting about Spike in, in his in his place because of his class, really. It's n- I think satire is, um, um, with, all, with due deference, of course, uh, to the fountainhead of satire itself. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the chaps are in the private eye office right now, um, the establishment crumbling around them. Um, uh, <laughs> satire's white collar, isn't it? Whereas Spike isn't, is he? He's He's he occupies a strange place. His father's a an officer who's come through the ranks in the Indian Army. Who's then they retire to England. They live in Catford. Is he Irish? Is he Indian? Is he English? What is he? He occupies this peculiar place, and he's not posh,
3: so he's yeah. not seen as a satirist. Does that does that make sense? Um, I think. Uh, he's not seen as a satirist, but I think we would argue that he was a satirist. Um, uh, uh, I think there's a lot of... Um, I mean, a lot of the play is about the tension between the officer class and uh, the the, the working-class Milligan, um, and he sort of fought the officer class during the war. You know, if you read his war uh, war memoirs, he doesn't have a lot of time for a lot of officers, you know, who he he portrays as quite pompous and officious, and um, sort of annoyed with him for playing the trumpet when he should be um, obeying orders a bit more. I mean, he's just not
2: very interested in rules, is he?
3: No, exactly. But then he sort of carries that on into the when he starts um, working for the BBC, um, and the same men are running the BBC. It's exactly the same men. Um, they're they're now wearing blazers instead of uh, uniforms, uh, but they're they're set, well, no, This is we know this because we had access to um, a lot of the uh, correspondence between Spike and the BBC, and internal correspondence and memos about you know between managers. Uh, having real problems dealing with Spike, saying he's a, um, he's a very, very difficult man to deal with. How do we get rid of him? So this is sort of what the, the play is about. It's a sort of um, the continuation of the war by other means, really. The, the, yeah. uh, and
4: there was but, this but, but, feeling... But, sorry. No, no, you got um, on him. Um, there was this feeling of, of um, them... There was this feeling of the management basically saying, look, why are you, why are you still going on about the war? It was a long time ago. And this is in 1953. It was eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, and here we are. And here we are. And Spike was saying, well, we've all just lived this. And the entire yeah. audience out there had just come through rationing. They knew what the naffy was. You know, half of their brothers and husbands or, you know, wives had served. So there was this idea that, oh, yes, we're finished with the war now. Um, and Spike, he really hadn't. Um, <laughs> and there is there's a great bit of correspondence where um, nearly all the officers, um, especially um, Bloodnock, appear to be venal, corrupt and cowardly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, they say, well, look, why, why does he start singing Deutschland uber alles as soon as the enemy comes? <laughs> Anywhere near him, and, and Spike's going. No, no, no. It's just you know, it's just how I'm doing it.
2: Uh, <laughs> but but that point you were making, Nick, about the sort of continuation of the war with the BBC. I, I mean, you you've just been to the archive, haven't you, Al? And you were saying that there's a framed check for sixty three
0: pence. Yes, I went from to the BBC went, on the wall. I, 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 I went to the fun. place in Finchley. Yes, there's the framed check for sixty three p for some repeats. And and you do you do very much get the sense that. Um, uh, it, it, I mean is this because Milligan ne- needed people to chime against, or is it that you know he needed he needed the grit in the in the oyster
3: yeah or is I, it- I mean we couldn 't really work out whether he was always like that, but even before he was blown up or whether this was a a function of his uh, PTSD, you know whether his his personality changed a bit. Um, it's very hard to tell from the war memoirs, isn't it? It's uh...
2: it is, except that he's you know when when he's when he's reading his own memoirs and he's talking about training, he's finding the fact that they're setting light to farts hilarious, <laughs> yes, uh, and that yes, suggests yes. that he found it funny at the time. So. Yes. But it's, know, more, he it's more it's more of, a love of the ridiculous, didn't he? But
3: it? But it's more ab- about the the, the the relationship with um, with the officer class, I think. It's just, you know, he he wasn't really rebelling against um, uh, superiors quite so much before he was blown up, I don't think. Yeah. Well, but and also, he, because um, uh, Tony Goldstein,
0: he has a friendship with Tony Goldstein, doesn't he, who, who who had worked with Terence Rattican and and who he regarded as the sort of, uh, the, the person who understood him in the battery as the guy you could chat to about culture and stuff. And he got him listening to music and all this sort of thing. And then the battery commander, Chater Jack, he's sort of friendly with. It's when, it, the impression you get in the memoirs is when Chater Jack leaves... And uh, Jumbo Simpson comes in to replace him. He's unsympathetic to Milligan. He doesn't like yeah. his. They, they, they play him some music and he doesn't like it. And and they don't like the way he plays the clarinet. Is the way it's framed in the book, but you get the feeling that they've 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 got a lot. Uh, someone in charge who's a lot less sympathetic to Milligan's yeah. antics and shenanigans and and his back chat. Because the the, the interesting thing is the the first period of the memoirs is he's, he seems to be offering an awful lot of back chat to his officers, and they they're like oh. We're, don't be ridiculous, Milligan Orb, or they let it go. And then he runs into someone who isn't sympathetic to that, and that's where his problems start. And th- there's a sort of coincidence, because because after he's blown up, he gets no sympathy, and he's told to get back no. in yeah. the line and all that exactly. sort of stuff. Exactly,
3: yeah. 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 And yeah, I yeah.
4: think that callousness um, turns him, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that he's sort of, he's then furious. But, yeah. you know, le- later in life, you know, <laughs> I mean, when... Nick and I were working at Private Eye, you know, Milligan would bring up Barry Fantoni um, and we'd say, what did he want? And Barry would say, oh, he just came on and said, bloody BBC. (laughs) 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 And that was sort of it. Um, He was cross. He was cross during Q8, um, you know, when he had a show on um, every week. He just he was just furious and
3: and we we sort of do make the point in the play as one as the producer peter eaton sort of uh, makes it clear to him you know you may have this continual war with the bbc but they do put you on and they do they do recognize your talent in some i mean he'd had dif- difficulties with certain managers um and he was always furious that um and quite rightly so that he was paid half as much as um, Seacombe and um, and Sellers. And and you read this correspondence and you've got a, a, B- a BBC manager saying, the problem is, as always, is Milligan, who we see as a sort of freak contributor. Um, they couldn't pigeonhole him. You know, they understood what Sellers did because he just, he did lots and lots of variety. He could do all these voices. They understood Seacombe because he... He could, sing. Uh, he could sing and he was he was regarded as the finished article he was an all-round entertainer but spike um he wanted to change the rules and and uh, he, and particularly sort of he was a lot of a pain in the in, in the neck to the people doing the sound effects he wanted to revolutionize how radio comedy was made and it uh, um, of course, you know people don't like change, um, and 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 particularly the BBC. You know they, but but they did allow it eventually. You know it did. Well, and uh, it was a huge it was a huge hit. So you've that yeah, inevi- that inevitable
0: tension, haven't you, between someone's getting it right and, exactly. It, uh, yeah. And who and
2: who is but it? I've got a question for you. Go. I mean, if he if he's ringing up the private eye offices, does that mean? I mean, did you get to know him?
4: Yeah. Well, I I knew Spike a bit. I had a family connection. Um, He was married to someone my mother knew um, in Sussex. So I knew him a bit in the last, in in his final days, as it were. And I interviewed him um, on radio Uh, rather like this, except it it went a lot worse. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I think this is going pretty well. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'll I'll tell you because it it was just, it was a classic. Uh, uh, It was a programme called Midweek, which used to do a live birthday interview. Um, and the bee um, in those days offered a bottle of champagne, which was opened in the morning for the birthday guest. And I was on to interview Spike. I opened the champagne; it went all over my notes, um, <laughs> which I'd written in green felt tip. And there was just a sea of green, and Spike of had bubbles. been bubbles, <laughs> bubbles, and Spike had been a bit stroppy up to that point. And then he just thought this was the funniest thing that had ever happened. Um, again because it was chaos and he started interviewing himself <laughs> uh, which was much much funnier and much better than I would have done it so he oh, completely brilliant. saved my arse um, as it were but, so but, I was thrilled by him that's so funny <laughs> but did he but did he ever
2: talk to you about the war when you when you did in the kind of occasions you did speak to him? no it didn't just
4: sort of come up in i would try and bring it up like nick i'd read them and i was you know really keen to talk about it but i think by as far as i gather in 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 those final days he spent a lot of time with his old buddies from the war he had a place where he talked about that with people who were there and i think i was just too young and um he he he, he talked
2: about it once on wogan didn't he with peter ustinov
3: he, but he sort of, I, he, again, he had a sort of love hate relationship with the army, didn't he? That, yeah, um, he, you know, he, he, he remembered all his colleagues and, you know, Edgington and uh, people like this, who he sort of, found, you know, great inspirations for for him. And and um, uh, he met a a, a chap called uh, Colonel Stanley Reynolds when he was with the Bill Hall Trio um, playing in Blackpool. He met this bloke on the seafront and. Um, he found him incredibly funny and a bit of a spiv and a bit of a con man and they kept a correspondence going until um reynolds died um but he was the inspiration for major bloodknock you know and so it, 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 you know he, th- he had a um there's a line in the play where he said you know th- um the great thing about the army is that you could just be funny for the fun of it whereas, whereas working for the bbc there was the relentless pressure to be funny on a weekly basis, and he found that very uh, well. Of course, it dri- drove him um, bonkers, really. But um, uh, but you know, he did sort of enjoy bits of the army. He said, "We he said when when he, when when they were, weren't trying to kill you, he quite <laughs> enjoyed it. You know, he quite and everything was done for you, and uh, you had no uh, no pressures of mortgages or anything like that. It was um, he he did look back on it with sort of maybe rose-tinted spectacles but
0: well it, it, i mean the, the memoirs are books about friendship as much as anything else yeah. aren't they and mm. and 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 you know i'm um, uh, uh, as, as james will will point out that one of the things that the allies got right during the second world War was their logistic um uh, end of things the operational level is a thing we bang on about on this podcast quite a lot and he never goes hungry which is which is yeah. interesting yeah. in fact they, they very often they, they're having they're having they're, they're eating sort of extravagantly well. Uh, uh, their Christmas celebrations are notably, are notably sort of uh, opulent, and that that yeah. that, 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 that he illustrates that side of things very well. But when he's right, I mean, you, you talk about the, the, the effort of writing the Goon Show nearly sort of drives him over the edge.
3: How many? How many are they making? Is it? Is it? Twenty six a year or something. Yeah, it's twenty six a year for ten years. You know, that's. I mean, if anybody who's written anything, um, even writing six episodes of anything, is a a colossal strain. Yeah. Well, we we find it. Maybe we're just find it harder than most. But uh, but, you know, the fact that he was doing pouring out 25 episodes i mean other people were doing the same sort of thing i mean Gulson and simpson were yeah. also producing lots of material yeah um but they
4: had each other
3: yes and spike did have co-writers and we try and credit them the emphasis was always on him and the it's, it's milligan's world his. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, that's what's unique about the goons it's his his mental landscape that um, is so unique we need to take a quick break we'll be back in a second
0: Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making Your Talk. We're talking about Spike Milligan with Ian Hislop and Nick Newman. So what was his routine then? Because they, they, they recorded them on a Sunday afternoon, didn't they? Mm. They'd read next week's, wouldn't they? Then they'd, do, then they'd record this week's. They'd give him the notes for next week, and then he'd have to write the following one, wouldn't he? I mean, it's sort of yeah. well, bananas. It's
3: that, it is. It is that thing. Anybody who's, you know, when we've written series and you just get completely confused and don't know where you are because you're you're rewriting episode two, writing episode three, doing the third draft of episode one, all simultaneously. And you you know, it, and Spike presumably had that, um, t- you know, four times as bad as we've ever done it. You know, because he was doing so many more episodes.
4: And there is a feeling I mean, there's a constant theme of him being late. Yes, and he's, he's late with the scripts, and he's always late. And there's sort of. Uh, memos saying why can't you deliver the script on time, um, and the the others in the cast. I mean particularly Sellers is furious that he doesn't turn up because they do, um, and they're very punctual. But the the great side of that is you get a feeling that once the rehearsal starts and they're there on a Sunday, everything dissolves and it becomes this brilliant fun. Um, between three people who they may argue, but and we we try and make a point in the play about how brilliant Seacum was at keeping the peace yeah. between the the two of them, and also reminding them, Seacombe constantly saying, you know, we're um we've been given a slot <laughs> uh, to make millions of people laugh once a week in a studio. People tell us we're great. We're here drinking brandy during the rehearsal. What? What? What is not to like? (laughs) Um, And I think he was—he genuinely reminded them that this was enjoyable yeah and you, you say sellers later just was so nostalgic
3: yes yes sellers endlessly i think that you know just before he died he wrote a note to spike saying why can't we get together again i i those days i i miss those days so much i don't think they appreciated it until it was all over how joyous and how lucky they were It was a bit like i think when we were in and i started out on spitting image and we found it a constant disappointment. How uh, you know the, the show wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. Everybody else seemed to be enjoying it, but we we, you know, we found the pressure of writing it, and uh, we and uh, uh, the the constraints of dealing with puppets and puppeteers. Um, uh, it, it all made it sort of strenu- stressful and worrying, and we were all, always felt we were failing. Um, But you look back and think, actually, no, we should have realised that we were were having the time of our lives, which uh, you don't realise until it's all over.
4: But we were writing in the Holiday Inn in Birmingham. We were.
3: On Saturday (laughs) morning. (laughs) (laughs) That may have coloured your view of things a little. (laughs) But, you know, lines that come out... I mean, we've just taken some of these lines from the correspondence. but the BBC management saying, you know, when they're doing the live shows... um, Try not to um, enjoy, uh, you're giving over the idea that you're enjoying it even more than the audience. And they say, Well, we are, you know, we can't help it. You know, the, the ad libbing, the corpsing is a yeah. testimony to that. They just yeah. thoroughly enjoyed doing the show and that may may have been due to the to the the milk and brandy that they were (laughs) drinking continually which again the bbc management knew about and complained about endlessly but but,
0: but um, it is it is i mean it's it it is interesting though isn't it because because you say that everyone's experienced the war what what milligan creates is this sort of vast in joke doesn't he That, that um and and you're listening to to some some friends Doing their in jokes to one another, but but you're in on the in joke. Is the yeah, it's the yeah. is the it's the sense you get listening to it? I first came in, I first came to the Goons with my father had a, a book of Goon Show scripts in the loo, um. So I'd never heard them, but I'd read the you know the batter pudding hurdle of Sea So I I, I I sort of knew what was going on, or or did I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 you know I knew who Minnie was and who Henry was and blood knock and grip pipe thin I knew, I knew these names but i didn't know didn't know what they sounded like and my father would do his eccles impression and that was kind of all i had to go on but the but the, the idea that they cast this absurdist spell is it, and also satirical spell because after all churchill crops up an awful yeah.
3: lot doesn't it yeah. yes yeah well this is the the, the the one of the things that we uh, we came to understand because um uh, you know i i was brought up on the goons but Um, uh, most of the recordings are a sort of um, evergreen classics and not satirical. Um, And there's a sort of, uh, if you listen to the Radio 4 Extra shows, and um, there's a sort of theory that I've heard expressed in comedy, in the comedy world, that um, a lot of these shows are very, very short, because they're politically incorrect. And that's just not the case. The the reason they're very short is because they're very topical and they cut out all the uh, topical references because they meant nothing to um, foreign audiences, you know, when they're sent out to Singapore and to Australia. And that's the reason that these episodes are very short. Um, And certainly when we were doing the research... um, uh, there were you know, there were episodes where they did an entire parody of the coronation. Spike was hauled up by the management for having Sellers doing an impression of the Queen. I mean, can you imagine that in 1952,
4: 53? Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, and Sellers um, says, you know, the character who is opening the building and Dimbleby and says, and here she comes. Uh, the character is called the Duchess Boyle de Spudswell, uh, which is... <laughs> <laughs> and, and the management is saying, look, you know, we're not idiots. Peter Sellers is imitating the Queen. And they're going, oh, no, it's this Duchess character. You know, And they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, then, and the same with Churchill. Um, and, I mean, and this is where, I mean, I think the wartime thing is really good because the management is saying, look, you... Winston Churchill, you, you can't do these jokes about him. He won the war. And Spike say, well, you know, I I did my bit. And so, <laughs> so so did Sellers and Seacombe was there. And, you know, both their producers actually yeah. were distinguished yeah. Yeah. wartime careers, Peter Eaton and Dennis Main Wilson. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a bit much to be told uh, you're not allowed to talk about the war when you were all there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the the real complaint about the mention of um, of uh, Winston Churchill is uh, that S- Spike makes a joke about his initials being W C, and the management say this is reducing the greatest <laughs> prime minister to a lavatory joke. And he said, "Well, it's that's what his initials were. They were W C. You can't escape that fact." Uh, I mean, they, but the the satire sort of went on and on. I mean, the the um, the climax. Uh, for us was when uh, the BBC did a sort of landmark TV program. Very, I think Peter Cushing was in it. Um, uh, 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 1984, and this was like sort of what the BBC was created for. This amazing piece of, of television. Um, and about two weeks later, Spike did 1985. And it's uh, an, a prolonged attack on the BBC. And it's instead of the big, it's the Big Brother Corporation. And, um, and the climax is being sent to the listening room and having to listen to episodes of The Archers. And it's, uh, and it's you know, it's, this is one of these episodes which is, you know, I've no, I, I didn't even know it existed um, but until we did our research. And you think, well, this is... This sort of gave us the backbone for our play. This is what what he leads up to. And the BBC put it out, and everybody thought it was his, incredibly funny. He got lots of complaints from management. 30 managers demanded that the show be taken off the air. Um, but they didn't, you know. And, um, and for
4: uh, us, it's great, because I think there's this slightly bogus narrative that um, Britain it was incredibly deferential in the 50s, um, and then, luckily in 1961, satire arrived. <laughs> da, 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 and it just isn't true. Um, you know, the biggest hit radio show was full of stuff that was extremely non-deferential, produced by three working-class comedians who weren't musical, um, but they were um, critical. <laughs> but, but But during the war, I mean, all the humour
2: was based around rubbishing the british effort and rubbishing yeah, yeah. british everything. I mean that was you, you know it's all incredibly kind of sort of hang dog humor. Yes. And you know yeah, it's just it's it's, it's, it's a continuation I, of that isn't but it? But in I a way?
3: I think I think spikes um uh, in, through the Goon shows, the uh, it, it was it was more of a, of a direct parodies. You know, he would do a parody of Brid- Bridge over the River Kwai. You know that that sort of thing. And in fact, that that was a sort of joint effort between Spike and um, the Beyond the Fringe crew. You know, it's um, uh, I think Jonathan Miller and Peter Cook yeah. both take do parts in Bridge over the River Kwai bridge over the river Why? as they did it
5: uh, <laughs> bridge over the river y that's why.
3: very funny um uh, and one of the, one of the little things that we've discovered you know talking about um spike's relationship with private eye um when peter cook uh was at school at radley he wrote um a, a, a radio script which he sent to the bbc and enlightened producers have read this and um said return said you know it's, we can't put this on because what you've written is a goon show script, but it is a very funny goon show script. And so, he, so he then sent it to Spike Milligan, who said this is very funny, and invited Peter Cook, aged seventeen, up to um, London to have lunch with him. And sadly, we don't know you we know, because we we never knew this until we did the research. Uh, uh, and although we you know we both knew. Peter he died before we we knew about this we don't know how that lunch went and what but anyway Spike became a great friend of the private eye for the you know, as soon as it was launched I
0: mean I mean there's a, there's another there's
3: another play surely yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah but but when when you see Peter's uh Cambridge Footlights um contribute shows they're infused with Goonery you know all the characters are called um you know, Doris Fnutt and you know they're, they're sort of well. Um, Streep
0: Grebling is very much is, is very much in a, in that goon vein, isn't it? Yeah,
3: and you know Peter's amazing flights of fancy with enormous killer bees. You know, it's when, the Holy and, Bee and, of Ephesus and all that. Yes, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. of that. You yeah. know, they they basically goon show jokes,
4: and they they fed straight into Private Eye. Um, you know, yeah. Sir Herbert Gussett. Um yeah. These were uh, Richard Ingram was a huge. Um, uh, Spike and goons fan, and so was Barry Fantoni, and then yeah. Peter was there, who actually owned the magazine. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, was turning up and and saying, um, "Let me do uh, a completely bonkers, surreal episode of the of the sacred brotherhood of um, <laughs> Uh You know, just <laughs> thinking, what is this? Is this yeah. the satire boom? It yeah. it looks pretty surreal to me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I I think the 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 comedy narrative of of is just as neat and um wrong as any other but, historical well, well yes
0: exactly and you said you touched on this earlier that the 50s is seen as a de- as this deferential time and certainly as we get for you know we're much more po-faced about the second world war than than, than people were at the time yeah. i think i mean obviously it's a thing to be po-faced about in lots of ways but but there is a, a um a, a lack of deference that you, after all if you do if you do conscript people you're going to end up with all sorts of people who are going to react to those institutions in all sorts of different ways and a lot of a lot of them, them are going to like it yes um, but, the,
2: but the interesting thing is that, is that the public tone in in the 1950s certainly to the second world war is one of of pretty triumphalist and you know yeah. that, that is the age of, of, of the dam busters and all these films yeah. and 633 squadron where everyone's being heroes and brilliant it's only kind of later that everyone says actually the british are all a bit rubbish in the second world war but but in the 1950s it, it, it is all that and of course you know spike has seen it from the bottom up and and he knows that that the life of the of the of the soldier at the front line is very different from the kind of heroics of guy gibson dropping a, a Bouncing bomb. to
4: to be fair, even the Dam busters which I'm as boring about as as either of you uh, um, <laughs> excellent uh, well, is, you're you're it, gonna get back on <laughs> yeah, you know, but it, it's one of those series of of second world war films in which it's not entirely clear um how effective this has been i mean if you look at um uh in which we serve you know the last scene is two officers going. Uh, well, goodbye, sir. And how did we do? Well, I think over four years we got one one sub, didn't we? Doesn't seem very much, does it, sir? I mean, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't a quite, the bill. Yeah, quite down deep. And the end of Battle of Britain, the end of, the end of, sorry, I'm going to be really boring now. The end of Battle of Britain is about an officer going off rather than saying, wasn't it marvellous? He's going off to write a letter of condolence to one of the dead pilots. You know these these are proper films um, about the human condition. They're not just triumphalist. Pact. Yes,
2: but by by the time Battle of Britain comes out in 1969, the revolution in how we look at the Second World War has started to change. And you know you've got that. You know AJP Taylor has sort of written his book about how rubbish um, wartime economics were, and you've had Corelli Barnett, and you know the, the the declineist view has started to kind of sort of creep in. But the point I was going to make about 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 spike and mm. and his heritage from the second world war and and you were it was something you were saying earlier on about how how you think he, his attitude towards officers changes after he gets wounded i th- I wonder whether that is is you know the risk of sounding like a sort of cod psychologist is is the circumstances in which he finds himself when he is blown up, you know it is Monte Cassino has this been this terrible winter of disappointment because you know when they go into Italy, they go in in September on the understanding that Hitler is going to retreat to the Pisa Rimini line, which is well north of Rome you know it 's planned in August when it 's scorchio and incredibly hot and and you, you know there, there is this sort of hope there is this sort of image of the sort of twinkly med and citrus trees and you know and and getting into Rome and sort of being in the Colosseum before Christmas. And all that is shattered. And not only is it shattered, it rains the whole time and then it snows and it's freezing cold and the Germans have blown up every bridge and there's mountains everywhere and raging torrents running at sort of 90 degrees to the direction in which they're supposed to be going. And it's completely and utterly miserable. And everyone's a bit down because the tide is supposed to have turned. You know, they've sort of won in North Africa, they've won in Sicily. It's all going to be a breeze from now on. Uh, And here they are really, really struggling. They're not just struggling against the Germans. They're struggling against the landscape, the weather, the conditions, Mm. endless booby traps and mines. And the whole thing is just sort of ground to halt. And it's miserable. Uh, And and they're sort of having to live out in these, you know, a lot of the time out in this appalling weather and, and fighting this sort of endless mud and rain and misery. And everyone knows that the campaign has all gone a bit, you know it's not of going out as planned and that has a sort of collective effect on morale and then he gets blown up and i i wonder whether it's the kind of sort of the kind of inverted icing on the cake of his kind of sort of miserable experiences of that winter
3: even though it was so grim um spike was still making jokes i mean he just yes. de- he describes you know crawling up the the gully in, in, uh, just before he go- gets blown up um, and you know he comes across a rock on which somebody has scrawled in chalk, um, "World War Two this way," and it's um, and it's just it's just so funny. Um, and it's, and it and it reminded us very much of because we, we wrote our previous plays a thing called the Wipers Times. Yes, and it's about how you use ho- humour as a coping mechanism during war. You know, it's how you get over the most the grimmest reality. Um, is to make and how maybe it's a particularly british thing to do is to make light of it and belittle the the horrors around you and that's what the the, the our chaps did in in the trenches in world war 1 and spike was doing that very much in world war 2 and i think and we sort of feel that you know the the play aspect play spike is sort of almost like a sequel to the wiper's times it's about how you use Humor as a coping mechanism after the war, rather than during the war. You know. But but
2: but I suppose my point was you you, you were you were saying that he becomes um, more irritated and more anti-officers um, yes. after that. And I and I and I suppose my point was really was someone's got to be to blame for this for this change of circumstances. And it, and it's yeah. certainly not the it's certainly not the Tommies on the ground. It's it's the officers. It's the people in, in charge. It's it's yeah. kind of you know it's it's it's. it's you know, well, it's, Lord, I mean, it's if general melt shit, isn't it? I mean, it's The
3: person who he sort of focuses most of his ire against is a Major Jenkins. And yeah. um, if you've got Major Jenkins say, accusing you of cowardice, as he did, um, uh, and um, suggesting to the, to the medics, a return to uh, uh, exposing him to more gunfire would would um, cure him of this problem you know it's a it's an incredibly cruel and callous um, response I mean I've, I've got various relatives who suffered from shell shock um, in the first world war and their account you know people have written about it and dealing with their father who had sh- suffered from shell shock and it never went away and the sort of waking up and the screaming at night and the and every time particularly um, there, you know if if this um, if he had an operation and he woke up from an anesthetic and he every time he thought he was dying and was going through this experience again, and it sort of it was a bit of an insight into what might spike might have um mm. have been going through you know when he had his uh, very dark days of depression and and you don't really i don't think. I think his producers understood him, um, but I don't think you would ever forgive the officers around you for for not being sympathetic, would you? I don't no. think.
0: No. no. Although he does at, at one point, he does say Jenkins was probably a good, a perfectly good soldier in his own way. It yeah. just he wasn't any good for me. Spike's understanding of that, I think. I mean, what's also very interesting is after they after they realize when he's downgraded to category B in his in his scrapbook, which which I looked at the other day, he says this is uh, you know I was cut off from all my friends. And this is an incredibly depressing moment in my life. He then goes on to describe actually a fairly uh, he, you know he's filing and he's painting uh, uh, doing decorations, isn't he in in messes and stuff? Yeah, and and, and make it sort of being made useful and actually. Not living too difficult an existence. And, and while he's lost his friends, he's also been the army's actually being strangely kind to him in a way, like keeping him away from danger and knowing they can't rely on him on the front line. So they're finding things for him to do. And so he it is that peculiar thing that he is looked he is actually looked after by by the army really which is a surprise because you would think oh you're on the scrap heap
3: now if you he's works as a as a waiter in the in the mess doesn't he i think and yeah and so and um is actually quite grateful for the opportunity to try out lots of different wines and um and and then an officer does suggest to him um look you're quite good with the trumpet you know why don't you do that and um it does sort of kickstart him again doesn't it i mean so yeah no he is it's not a, a continual i mean he had so much respect for peter eaton and dennis main wilson as well who were both officer class as well so it wasn't an entire class hatred the bbc management at a higher level had no idea
4: what to do with spike and were not any good for him but come down two layers and they looked after him they uh, when he went into the private nursing home um they made sure he was there um you know all credit to harry seekham who we discovered had been sort of paying some of his bills and i mean was a really good friend to him you know when when it actually mattered um uh but he was sort of he was taken care of and he you know maybe it's a thing about institutions but um almost your first question was did he need that um did he need something to kick against? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, left to himself, hey, you can do whatever you like. Yeah.
0: What do I do? Well, yes, because before the war, he's sort of drifting about and hasn't really figured out what to do with himself yet, yeah. has he? It's the, it's the thing. And but the,
3: he, he was also his father's son. You know, yeah. he, he, could, he, he wrote about his father and said his father was, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, hated everybody, you know, he... Yeah. Um, he um, hated people who weren't Irish. He paid, hated people who were Irish. You know, <laughs> uh, he was sort of a, an equal opportunities um, hater. Uh, um, and and I think you know he 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 got a bit of that, didn't he? Yeah.
0: Ah um, oh, gosh, um, oh, we, we could talk about this. Although, uh, we we need to talk about the Dambusters another time as well.
4: I'm the Battle of Britain, but well, I, can, well, oh, I yeah. can, but I completely agree with but you. At the end of the at the 69, end of '69, the... though, that's really late. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. 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 I've I've got that in my head as being much earlier, which it is. No, it's
2: nineteen sixty nine. Dowding was there, he was still alive just. And they, uh, the uh,
3: they've got um they've got sort of nineteen sixty nine haircuts as well. Yes, they they? Oh it's a ludicrous yeah. film um, yeah, yeah, Ian yeah. McShane looks yes, he completely out of place. Yes, but yeah. Christopher
2: Plummer looks magnificent. <laughs> 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 uh, and also um, um Robert Kenney. Shaw. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Skipper hates Jerry's. <laughs> absolutely fantastic
3: line. <laughs> I love the scene where uh, Michael Caine is flying with the poles. Keep that bloody chatter down. Oh, that's yeah, 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 yeah. It's absolutely <laughs> that's
2: fantastic. fantastic. Uh, absolutely fantastic.
3: Well, well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about about
0: Spike. Uh, what what's happening with the play? You, you, is it about to tour? It is. could we be allowed
3: to do a plug? Oh, absolutely. Just of course I mean, you are. Why, yeah. Not? Yeah. why not? That's
2: the whole point. The beauty We're... about having your own podcast is you can do whatever you like. <laughs> well,
3: well, we, we start in Cheltenham, um, I think, on September the sixth or something yeah. like that, and then we go from Cheltenham to Malvern. Uh, we go. Uh, we're going to Oxford Playhouse. Um, uh, you see, you would you would Richmond, have a list Richmond. if you're really professional. I know. I'm not. am so <laughs> unprofessional.
0: Is there a website? I mean, uh, there is. There is. We can if always resort to the website. That's what I do. Spike <laughs> the play is
3: called Spike, the play. Like. Spike,
2: Spike, Spike the play. Spike the play. dot co. Dot uk. Yeah. But um, um,
3: we we end up in Blackpool, which is a fitting place to end up because there's a there's a big tribute to Spike in uh, opposite the Blackpool Tower. On um, they they have a thing called a comedy carpet. Have you? I you know. know I'm on it. Are nah, you? Oh well, <laughs> of <course>. we're not. I can.
2: Can I just confirm? It is called SpikeThePlay.co.uk. You <laughs>
3: thank you, thank you. Yeah. You know more about it than we do. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Um, but it's twelve weeks, um, yeah. and it's on. It'll, it's coming to a theatre near you somewhere. It really is. We, have a, we,
2: have, we have a strap line that says, "I'm not acting crazy. I'm the genuine artist." <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, fun you'll fun find all the best jokes in the play are spikes. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> There's no shame in that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Ian Hislop, Nick Newman, thanks for talking to us. Um, we will see you all again soon. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. Yeah.
2: Cheerio. Okay.